0: Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're covering Season 3, Episode 6, Rest and Relaxation. Here's Aaron with the recap. Things
2: get a little too real in the latest Rick and Morty adventure, with the two barely making it out with their lives and most of their sanity. The solution to their frayed nerves is a day in an alien spa world where they can rest and recharge. Unfortunately, they go a little too far with the detox program, and their positive and negative selves get split from each other. Things look grim as Negarick hijacks a local moon tower and turns the whole world into a grotesque mix of rage, lust, and bad fast food choices, while the newly cleansed Morty runs away and starts a successful career on Wall Street. Fortunately, Rick is able to exploit Negarick's irrational attachment to Morty and Morty's subconscious desire to be with Jessica to convince the rogue halves of their respective personalities to merge and return the world to its regular state of being fucked up. All right, Aaron, what do you think of Rest
0: and relaxation?
2: I think this is a great episode of season three. I really like when they do like a compressed montage scene of like some of the adventures that we don't get to see on tv and mm. like just just like incredibly epic like star wars adventure that they went on and i just re- it really really tickles me to see them like the aftermath of that where they're just screaming and like why the fuck why are we doing this to ourselves i thought the concept of them getting split into their, like toxic and non-toxic components to be pretty interesting um and fun and kind of like a you know, Star Trek uh, mirror universe kind of way. Mm -hmm. And some of the things they said about the finer points of that, like the machine not having an intrinsic calibration of like toxic and non-toxic. And it's like your own subconscious that does it. And like, what does it, you know, um, what does it look like to have all your supposed negative traits like stripped from you? Um, It went beyond the traditional kind of Star Trek of, yeah. You know, oh, without Kirk's evil side, he's just a pussy. You know, there's, mm-hmm. like, nuance, like, attachment, like, irrational attachment. Love is seen as a negative quality. And I I liked how they they played with that and, and to
0: see how Rick and Morty kind of function in those spaces. Yeah, absolutely. That was easily the most interesting thing to me, is just seeing what what qualities Toxic Rick has versus, I don't know, non-toxic Rick. Um, and the same with Morty, and it's interesting in one way it turns Rick into a better person and in in on Morty it seems to have sort of an equal and opposite effect where it turns both halves of him into awful people. <laughs> and I I wonder why that is. And I maybe we can discuss that. Yeah. There's um I think
2: there's actually an answer in the spoiler section that's but but it's also not on the show. So it's yeah. one of those things. And um, I don't know that
0: I agree with the answer, but we'll see. Okay.
2: Okay. So um, I also thought that there's a lot of really good goofs in addition to the Star Wars kind of esque destruction of the organic Death Star components. I really enjoyed like Rick and Negarick going at each other, like high speed, like the uh-huh. groin groin defense six thousand and the weird murder puppy that they cultured and unleashed on each other, and the you know, chestburster fetuses. It was just really fun to see these characters intimately well I mean they're the same people so they know all their tricks where all the shit's hidden yeah. and it was just fun to see you know Rick kind of go all out uh, techno, tech, tech, techno wizard mm-hmm. um, and there's other you know like I said seeing seeing Morty as in this kind of American psycho role I thought was pretty funny um, and it's just uh, all around a, a solid episode and said a lot about the characters and we should probably get right into it
0: the most interesting thing to me is the toxic uh, the toxic and non-toxic versions of Rick and Morty um, and what kind of comes out of that okay so Rick when he the toxic version of Rick ends up having essentially thinking he's the most important person in the universe um, not not giving a shit about anyone else except for Morty which he has this irrational attachment to right this love of Morty is something that Rick as a uh, both toxic and non-toxic version of himself combined thinks is a toxic part of his personality. Mm. And that says so much about the person who is Rick. Like, I need to get rid of this part of me because it's holding me back in some way or it's it's keeping... Like, those irrational attachments are things that Rick doesn't want. They're things that... uh, Yeah, I was trying to figure out exactly
2: what the deal is too because i got to say that non-toxic rick looked like a better version of himself absolutely and, and almost
0: like th- there w- he was just a normal human being mm-hmm. at that point yeah
2: still smart yeah. but like without any kind of ego or like yeah. a, you know attachment to the fact that i'm you know it's like uh, him being smart is the same as you having a right hand it's not something that you mm-hmm. curl about or brag about it's just
0: that's uh, something i've got something that i'm something i'm 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 uh, going going through and you brought up his intelligence and i think that's even interesting too because both of these versions of him are still intelligent right mm-hmm. and if he viewed his intelligence because we, we went through the pickle Rick episode right where um, his intelligence was kind of the toxic part of him, hmm. and so you would think, okay, well, regular non-toxic Rick would become somebody who isn't that intelligent, and maybe toxic Rick would be intelligent. But it kind of shows since they both have that that he vo- both views it as a blessing and a curse hmm. to be super intelligent. Yeah, uh, that's a really because because the
2: thing is is like the attached with your family. I can see. You know, in the split second that the machine analyzes his brain and categorizes things that toxic and non toxic, like I wonder how much um you know, he he, he thinks that like his bizarre behavior the behavior that kind of like you said holds him back or gets him into these problems is the fact that he has this attachment to his family. Yeah. Where if he didn't, you know, if he wasn't uh uh if he wasn't driven by that need, it'd be a little he'd be a little bit more altruistic, a little bit more kind of like above the fray wouldn't get too excited about things. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I, but, but yeah, it's like I, I I wondered as I was watching this, the, you know, a couple of times and like with a more critical eye, if I bought the whole split between the, the negative and positive halves and they have yeah. an ultimate out, which is essentially it's whatever the person is thinking of it is. So it's yeah. like, I don't even know that like, the personality traits are 50-50 and they have to add up to 100. Or like 27, you know, sure, yeah. 64. It's like they they could add up to
0: 105% because like the intelligence overlaps both. Um, yeah, that's why I find that that intelligence part of it so interesting because Rick knows, look, this is my greatest tool, my greatest strength, but it's also my greatest weakness uh, when it comes to relating to other people uh, and, and you know, being decent to them. See, I think, I think Morty, like... Non-toxic
2: Morty felt more like a monkey's paw version of what yeah. you would get if if you said, oh, I want to get rid of all the things I don't like about myself and keep all the things I like about myself. Like he mm-hmm. turns into this um, artificially confident, um, nothing really gets to him. Uh, he's easy breezy with the life advice and he's successful at motivating <laughs> and inspiring his peers, but mm-hmm. there's something hollow to him. You know, like it's... And it's, it
0: turns people off around
2: him yeah except for the type of people who are kind of that way themselves like his friends are you know stock traders and Mm -hmm. the type of woman who would shack up with a 14 year old boy
0: run away from his family in the midwest yeah but the one person he really values the approval of uh doesn't give it to him this episode right jessica Right, right uh it turns her off so like it's interesting to me, yeah, that he becomes kind of a a differently awful person.
2: Yeah, and it reminds me a lot of the phrase of like the opposite of crazy is crazy. Yeah, because but because that's certainly true with 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 Morty. Um, you know, good like cleansed Morty is kind of a. Uh, a Jason Bateman style uh psycho and like Toxic Morty was just all the worst traits of Morty turned up to eleven. Actually that was interesting yeah, that like security. That like Morty is reminded me a lot of just a very confident Jerry. <laughs> okay. Because he still didn't have like the social graces, he still didn't have like an ease of, mm-hmm. of his manner, it's just that he wasn't aware of how off putting everything he was doing was.
0: Whereas Jerry
2: often like as he's trying his shtick, he sees it's not working. He gets all gripped up about it. Whereas Morty just Mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't stop. But like that opposite of crazy is still crazy. Kind of breaks down with, with, with positive Rick Mm -hmm. or non-toxic Rick, because it just seemed like he was just a straight up improvement over Rick. Yeah. seems like it.
0: Yeah. Like he's like, uh, you know, which might tell you something just about the wisdom of age, right? Like, rick's 70-ish years old yeah. uh morty's 14 what morty thinks is his toxic part right is probably not completely accurate yeah and so this machine pulls out a lot of the stuff that makes a decent human being uh any kind of insecurity whatsoever yeah uh or self-reflection those kinds of things yeah. it pulls it right out of him yeah. whereas i think maybe rick knows a little bit better what makes a decent human being he just right isn't one until he pulls the toxicity out. There's also some an element of like
2: if you are this kind of perfect being, uh, like Rick and or Morty is like you. It implies you'd be a terrible friend because like there's a lot in there. And Morty is like, oh, you know, if you come up with a toxic element in your life, you just cut it out. Uh-huh. And you know, uh, uh, they, you know, when Rick points out that they left their like negative selves in anguish, Rick's like, or Morty's like, yeah, it sounds like they're in a lot of pain and like a lot of pain. Just very breezy about it. But, like, and you get that. Like, I've I've been with people that are, you know, been through therapy or they're, like, trying a new diet or they're living their best selves. And it's like, yeah, I just cut out all the toxic people in my life, which is all well and good. But, like, every person that you meet in life is going to eventually be a, a negative influence because they're going through something. And, like... You know, a really grounded, well-functioning person has spare capacity to throw a lifeline to a friend or family member in need. Not an unlimited one, not a, not yeah, a yeah. line of credit that's, like, extended forever. But, like, you don't just be like, oh, man, you're drowning in this uh, toxic sludge. Well, pff, sucks to be you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go keep on living my best life. It's... <laughs> uh that, that that like lack of accountability to others yeah. like as long as your side of the street is clean then then that's all that matters and even if it's gotten dirty in the past well you don't have to worry about that too much because we're always just focused on the future i thought that was interesting and like very insightful ways is it wasn't just that Morty was like trying too hard on the date he's like he's just a super confident try hard jerry mm-hmm. um it was also just that he doesn't want to clean up any of the messes that he might have made or might have been made as a direct result of him trying to better themselves i'm also reminded of like a like a you know jerry or someone going through a divorce or a bad breakup and they are like feeling so much better because they're you know taking care of themselves and they've left behind someone that's kind of in anguish um there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot uh, there, there's just a lot of things I think that that to, to pick up there that I thought was was really good do you want to talk about the because there's like the i guess middle part of the episode where the two Ricks are doing battle um yeah I thought i mean it's inherently funny these guys fighting each other nude with blurkle dicks just running around the yep. neighborhood <laughs> yep. And the uh, the the fact that like they know exactly what we're doing, but we don't um, mm-hmm. is is awesome. But like the reactions of like, uh, you know, you can tell that when the good Rick shoots the bad the, the bad Rick with like a dart, just the fact that he's so frantically trying to do something that like a shoe is about to drop. I really loved uh, the crud Rick using a fast-growing puppy monster like it's just like
0: this kind of cute triple and he's like oh who's a good who mm-hmm. and he like turns it into his psycho killing machine in like 15 seconds yeah I was calling the the thing that Rick was using the clone incubator gun it seems like that's yeah. that's pretty accurate but so this is this highlights the fool's errand
2: of trying to keep up because we had a discussion in the last episode about like the cybernetics of Rick yeah. and like you know how augmented is he who the fuck cares? Because every third episode he gets regenerated in a wholly new organic body, <laughs> right? Implying that like when he comes out of that cocoon, he doesn't have any of his in techno augmentation. And like, not only is that stuff unless that goes his o- DNA
0: is at at its core uh, yeah, modified it's nanobots to recreate, or something, yeah, right? yeah recreate the Which, nanobots
2: entirely possible. But there, yeah. you go. there, there, you, there you go. It's just a, again a fool's errand to try to catalog this stuff because not only does uh-huh. it get reset in every third episode that we see, but as has been implied many many times like we only get to see a small fraction of the shit that rick and morty get up to so yeah and he's got uh, his
0: new groin system 6000 and (laughs) And, and it
2: checks out it's like i don't want any part of this like kill that guy's like but this is my groin's owner (laughs) (laughs) you know what not my table yep i love that like it implies that all of rick's artificial intelligence have like a personality like his car Uh-huh. To keep summer safe, to the like there is a level of autonomy, and his I wonder battery
0: in his car. Yeah, There's a lot of personality.
2: Well, sh- yeah, no shit. It's got like trillions of individuals <laughs> inside of it. I wonder if there'll ever be an episode where like Rick's technology goes on strike, uh. or just generally doesn't go along with his whole vibe. Yeah, um, I mean, it. On one hand, I guess it would stretch my credibility that Rick as brilliant as he is, would design an AI that would be capable of that. Mm-hmm. But also, it kind of did. I mean, I guess this is like literally your owner telling it to to, to, to kill itself, and maybe he's got like some kind of like suicide prime yeah. directive. Like, hey, if I ever get drunk and say I want to off myself, don't under any circumstances listen to me. <laughs> but I like it. I like it's a, it's a, it's a funny idea to play with. Um, I also like the fact that both halves of Rick uh, are kind of protective of Beth. Or okay, her image yeah. of him, mm-hmm. like you know, Rick wasn't like "fuck you, bitch, get the fuck out of here." And you know, clean Rick was just like, "Hey, well, pray thee, brother, this is our daughter." They were both <laughs> kind of like, kind of gave a shit. Which is that just positive Rick be trying to be, just be upbeat, or does it belie his claim that all of the all of the attachments he has is is toxic?
0: Yeah, no, I, I think there are several things that they're doing with toxic Rick that make it like. Okay, well these are these are aspects. Of myself, they're both good and bad, and I think maybe his his love of Beth could be that. Mm-hmm.
2: Can so. I? Add, there's there's one scene that I think is really funny, and it might just be that's it. Like uh, Dan and Justin wrote it, and they giggled and they kept it in, but like. Um, at one point Morty slaps Rick at the suggestion of like remerging. He's like, you know, you're not thinking rationally. Mm-hmm. And then Rick says I like, has a realization that how does the machine know what's healthy, especially with all these different aliens going through it, and must use the individual's own definition. And then Rick, apropos of nothing, just slaps Morty and then runs out the the door to the moon tower. Do you have any idea like why why cleansed Rick would slap Morty in the face? Uh no. <laughs> but it cracked me up, but especially since like more, it kind of shocked Morty, Summer, and and uh,
0: Beth. Yeah, and, and I guess yeah, I have a couple questions. I mean, that would probably be one of them. And then the ending is a, a little confusing to me. But I there's another part in this fight scene mm-hmm. where uh, like a little Easter egg where the family photos have been modified. So. Instead of Jerry showing up in them, now there's a horse head over Jerry, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just hilarious to me because I assume Beth put it there. Implies a potential
2: for a BoJack Horseman crossover. Oh shit! Imagine, imagine Bo. Because like the thing uh-huh. is, is BoJack is essentially Rick with a sub genius level intellect and uh-huh. uh, y- you know, a horse head. Yeah. So like, I could see him being very attractive to to Beth. <laughs> and i would fucking love if they could huh. they could pull it off it's infinite realities oh, yeah. there's definitely a a reality where they're like every other human has for no apparent reason an anthropomorphic uh animal head on it yeah so yeah i want to see i want to see season 5 where beth is on you know uh on some sort of rebound from jerry and she's 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 t- trying the horseman out trying a horseman on for size huh? uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting, also like what Rick, healthy Rick, saw as his um, negative sides. He says, "My entitlement, my narcissism, my crippling loneliness, and my irrational attachments." Is crippling loneliness something he's come down recently? Because he's like, because I feel like he's had friends like Birdman, Squanchy, or mm-hmm. Birdperson, rather Squanchy. They've all been
0: arrested yeah maybe that's it like this, so that's what federation i was getting at. like is, is this
2: crippling loneliness a new thing or is this like something that he's kind of always been in denial about do you think could they all be
0: dead could they all have is it possible that when the federation got taken out uh with this economic catastrophe i don't think that we, they were just left in federal prison to die
2: i don't think we know well i mean bird bird person was just straight up murdered now he lives right, on right. as phoenix person yeah uh, but, but yeah, squanchy. Last seen was like w- wading through a hail of laser guns as as Omega Squanch or whatever <laughs> Squanch oh, Super- Squanch Prime. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess all and and not any of that, but there's implied that like half a dozen or half a dozen to a dozen other people there were like big swinging exactly yeah terrorists. freedom fighting dicks that mm-hmm. that might have been like his his uh, his posse. Yep. Mister Poopy Butthole's been estranged. From the family since the, the attempt mm-hmm. on his life. Yep. Yeah, it could be. Or could I also see that he thinks that his vast intellect just is such a huge separation that, like, he definitely <laughs> has buddies or good time pals. But, like, he's not talking to Bird Person about deep emotional stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, that's probably right because we're coming off an episode... Two episodes ago, I think, where he threw together a fucking party with Logic and right. and a hundred other people. Right. In the like while he was blackout drunk. So right. and also tellingly, he was all about noob noob being his best
2: friend. So yeah. like at something a void in his life that's not being filled by uh hmm. by Morty, let alone Booger Morty. Uh there's another thing I thought was really interesting where um, Rick, when they merged, Rick's skin like you don't even really notice it, but like Rick's has got a really naturally or really uh pink, healthy kind of glow to him. Yeah, and when he merges back with his toxic self, it turns kind of like that,
0: like slightly dingy dishwater gray. Yeah, which I assume part of his toxicity would be his alcoholism. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he probably got rid of that, and yeah, uh, he's back you know. to
2: having multiple sclerosis of the of the liver. Yeah. Or his techno liver. I guess his... Tech, yeah, maybe, maybe he replaced it with the... Uh, after the hardest working liver in the galaxy got shot, maybe he replaced it with the techno filter.
0: I forgot to go back and look at this. Did you notice if non-toxic Rick was, like, belching and... No, he was not. He I don't think not, he had okay, drool on cool. his face either. Right. Because I would assume that, you know, Rick would know that that's a toxic part of himself. Yeah, yeah. And then he had... The, when he said, yeah,
2: woohoo, back the master of both worlds, I thought that was a fun, like, a little gag yeah, because Dan Harmon's always talking about the story circle and the story wheel and the hero's journey and yeah. that's one of the you know uh, climaxes of that is the you know the hero is in a comfort zone of comfort then he has to go out of that to get something that he needs and a, a lot of times that puts him in it's like you know Mario going getting flushed down the pipes and waking up in Koopa Land. and then when they return they are now like masters of both worlds you see that mm-hmm. a lot also of like um you know tom cruise in last samurai or mm-hmm. uh fucking the uh water dude in uh well King Waterworld, Ke- or, or or huh? uh, the dancing with buffaloes or uh <laughs> the postman like all all of his movies are essentially the, huh. the 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 hero's arc yeah you know where he can walk on dry land and have gills mm-hmm. uh I thought that was yeah, these these he you master and he the fart that blows his lab coat up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm I'm a kid. I thought it was really funny. Yep. Uh Terry folds. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. This, what about it?
2: This song, like, legit blew up the week it came out. Like, they mentioned yeah. in the commentary track a little bit of uh, Portal 77 stuff, uh, or BM 77 stuff, but, like, that, it got to the top 40 mm-hmm. on the billboards? Yeah, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but it happens, you know? Like, mm-hmm. previous generations had the Monster Mash and, you know, Flying Purple People Eater. We got Terry Folds. What, what do you want to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, were you aware of the concept of Moon
0: Towers? I wasn't, but I did... <laughs> T- too much research into Moon Towers. I think it's fascinating. I yeah. did, too. What? Tell me what you know about them. Uh, so I know that they were a thing in the late 1900s. They were used to illuminate large sections of cities. Or when I say large, I mean relatively large for I the mean, time. A few blocks. One of them was casting a,
2: a beam of light uh, 3,000 feet across. That's, yeah. that's a lot. That's like a half mile of, of, yeah. of light. Um, and and so they're just these huge towers which have big uh, arc lights, and they the did top. that because it was in a lot of areas cheaper than like actually running lamps through the streets. You just right. like have
0: one giant lamp, like
2: an artificial star that shines down on everybody.
0: Yeah, and they thought it would do a lot of things, uh, mainly like prevent crimes uh-huh. because I, I guess that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, illuminating it's it's bringing things out of the shadows, shine a light. On Although I would think it would create a lot of shadows. Yeah, especially like, since deep. Deep, long shadows around the edges. Yeah, and they they said that these are like
2: these arc lights that are famous for st- throwing like just really harsh, bright white lighting. So yeah. yeah, I imagine the moons are like on the fucking moon. <laughs> the the shadows are on the fucking like on the fucking
0: moon. Uh, I also learned that over the years, you know, many of them have been destroyed right. and taken down. There's still 15 of these that yeah. exist in Austin, Texas. That's the only place in the world still using them. Yeah, Another and thing. apparently they like bought up a bunch of Detroit's and and brought them down to
2: Austin and reassembled them there. I did not notice that, because I've only been to Austin once, and I was walking around a lot at night. I wonder if it's more in the outskirts, or if it's just, like, it's something you... Because I think you'd notice, like, a 165-foot yeah. tower, it's, like, just blasting you with light, but it's cool. One I don't know things, if they're in use. I just know that they're... It sounded like it, because they just refurbished
0: them in, like, the late 90s, or what, early 2000s. Hmm. Uh, I guess I took that to mean that they had, you know, refurbished the physical structure, uh, not necessarily, like actually using them still in use yeah it
2: wouldn't surprise me because you know one of austin's taglines is keep austin weird so like you can't get much weirder than being the only location still with functional moon towers (laughs) right with fucking moonlights. Mm -hmm. uh i also really (laughs) i love the um I, i love the uh some of the like stuff that happens in the margins like when the world goes negative you have like what was it the Salad World people that you mm-hmm. had like Sabaros and Salad World and like the Salad World people their negative versions. ran to Sabaro and the Sabaro yeah. people ran out to the dumpster outside Sabaro. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> I've never eaten a Sabaro. I've seen either. it in uh, many a mall food court and uh, like an airport food court, mm-hmm. but like it's Italian. I, th- I think, think so. Yeah, it's certainly got Italian flag colors, but yeah. um doesn't make me want to eat there no if apparently it's essentially just straight up eating garbage uh what you got any other miscellaneous stuff do you want to talk about i mean my
0: favorite of those i think was the kids at the birthday party or whatever they were at and they turn on the the clearly mickey mouse style mascot thing santa claus not real yeah and then when you know everything is snapped back to reality it's the it's I don't know. It's terrifying, it's it's horrible, but it's hilarious. It's a lot like the joke from the last episode of
2: the brother killing his yeah. daughter, or not daughter, his sister. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, oh my god, what have what have these hands wrought? Grab my cherry fold flaps. Grab my flappy folds. Stick with us because after this short break, we'll be back to talk to Matt Brady, author of The Science of Rick and Morty, the unofficial guide to Earth's stupidest show about life, the universe, and everything. We'll be right back.
0: Grab my foldy holds. Grab my terry flaps. In my terry folds.
2: Before we continue with the episode, I want to do some housekeeping here for baldmove.com. Cecily and I continue to be covering American Horror Story Season 9, 1984. We have those episodes each Friday. Jim and I are covering the final season of The Deuce on HBO with each episode released on the corresponding Wednesdays. We're covering the Mr. Robot final season, the spectacular Christmas season of Mr. Robot uh, with episodes released also on Wednesdays. We're in the middle of Spooky October, which means Cecily and I are doing the Cinematic Spooktacular Part 3, The Search for Spook. New episodes of that dropping on October 10th, 20th, and the 30th. All Hallows Eve Eve for your maximum spooky enjoyment. We have a ton of bald movies coming out. Last week, we discussed The Joker. Next week, we'll be talking El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie premiering on Netflix, as well as Zombieland 2, colon, Double Tap. Finally, don't forget, uh, for club members, we have the fabulous lunch with Jim and Aaron every Friday. It's the only show on the internet where Jim says lunchtime. So be excited. And that's what's happening this week at baldmove.com. Joining us now is Matt Brady, a high school science teacher and co-founder of thescienceof.org. He's recently released a new book, The Science of Rick and Morty, the unofficial guide to Earth's stupidest show, available in bookstores everywhere. Welcome to the show, Matt Brady. Thanks a lot. Glad to be here. Uh, just uh, some, some boilerplate we like to ask all of our guests what's your relationship to Rick and Morty are you one of the early adopters did you hear about it late uh, what's the deal
1: I think I found out about Rick and Morty the way a lot of people found out was people on the internet talking about this show mm-hmm. called Rick and Morty or more likely memes um, from Rick and Morty and uh, I caught on to it in the second season I think and I believe it was something that I kind of started watching and I told my wife that, Oh, come on, we got to watch this together. You got, you won't believe how funny this is. And then by midway through the second season, it was appointment TV for my entire family that we had to catch every episode as they came out. Um, So not, not the earliest of the earlies didn't know about, you know, the whole way that Justin got it together and got it, Dan, and then got it on the air, but kind of midway in there. So I guess I can, I can finally, I, I can kind of sniff and look down on people who uh, got to it when it's going to be on its fourth
0: season now. Yeah, I think I was at the end of season two. I came Say, in. Yeah, so. like it, yeah. One of these days, I'm, I'm very confident that we will get to the patient zero of Rick and Morty. The first person to <laughs> yes. have watched it and then gone on the Internet and was, told everyone. Was, we're, we're on the search.
2: We're on a search. The first, but-
1: yeah, the first person who uh, who saw Justin's uh animation um, the dog and, yeah, yeah. And shared it around you yeah. right. Doc and
2: Marty. That's oh, the, yeah, the, that's that one, You got to yeah. go all the way back there. Uh, what's your all time favorite episode? Uh, see, that's a, that's a funny thing because everyone
1: thinks of me as a science guy for Rick and Morty, but I really, really love um, Rick Shank redemption and pickle Rick because both of those, I will, I will go down to the mat on this. They are probably the best action quote unquote movies that, you'll see in a long, long time, the, just the pacing of those. Um, I just, I love, I love how it all works out, how the story goes, how it's just, it's watching Rick just be totally Rick and get his revenge on, on all these characters that, that thought they had it down on him. And, uh, yeah, those, those are my two favorite ones.
2: Yeah, especially since like it's he gets the like, pickle Rick, it's an epic revenge on people he just met, <laughs> accidentally <laughs> exactly. for no good reason. Uh, accidentally, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's, yeah. it's no less
0: it's no less epic. It's like that that yes. distillation. It's like sort of that, that those restrictions breeded of like a 22 minute block of time. Yeah, breeded like yep. this very concise, very distilled version of an action movie.
2: Yeah,
1: right, right, exactly.
2: And then exactly. the the uh, Atl- Rick Lantis mix up. That's like the movie training day in 25 minutes, plus a, a political thriller shoved in there too.
1: Exactly. And I've had, I've had the opportunity with the book to, to meet a lot of people who, well, a lot of parents or, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, significant others who don't watch it, who are just coming there because, you know, somebody they they're with, you know, wanted the book or wanted to, to talk or something like that. And, and in talking to those folks who are just totally new to it or have never caught on to it at all, yeah i've I've talked about um you know rick landis and and the other episodes that boy out of nowhere you get an episode like that or or sometimes you just get you know punched in the gut with emotions or you know the end of uh the unity episode that that was just rough to go through to watch Rick go through all of that so yeah, yeah it's it's more than what you can get off the surface. Definitely. Definitely.
2: Yeah. I love so, so many things I love about Rick and Morty is like their episodes. I didn't know I needed to see, mm-hmm. right. you know, like right. if, if I was writing and they'd all be me six adventures and <laughs> I'm glad I'm not because that would get old. That'd be that'd probably get pretty old quick. Uh, what do you think of the current episode rest and Rick laxation? I
1: thought, uh, actually I just watched it again. Um, when I, I heard you guys wanted to talk about that. Uh, I thought it was an interesting episode in, in terms of, again, you know, kind of that, that idea that you can catch these episodes with Rick and Morty that talk about such bigger things. Um, and and to totally nerd out on it, I felt like this, I guess kind of like an attraction or, or a throwback to one of the original Star Trek movies, uh, with the original, uh, the original season series. Um, I believe it was Star Trek five. The one with Spock's brother.
2: Oh my God. One of the bad
1: ones. One of the bad ones. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there's a line from it that, you know, it it wasn't all bad. It was mostly bad. There, there, you know, a couple lines in it that I I still remember to this day. Um, But when Spock's brother was going through and taking people's pain away Mm -hmm. and everybody's just like lining up and take my pain away, take my pain away. And they're coming out kind of as bland as Rick and Morty were when they came out of the detoxifier. And then Kirk, you know, hero of science fiction heroes, um, said no. He rejected it. He said, I, I am who I am because of my pain. I am who I am because of the bad things that have happened to me, the, the the scars that I carry around inside. If you take those away, I'm not who I am. And I thought that was echoed really well in in the episode to the point that, you know, they realized that that was that was what was going on, and Rick rep- realized that he needed that. He needed that negative side of him, um, and Morty needed that negative side of him as well to be a whole person. So I thought it was a lot more psychological than, uh, you know, than, than science-based, but, um, but still, it was a really enjoyable episode, an interesting episode, one of those ones that does kind of you can come away with just thinking of, boy, if, if I lose all the stuff that's bothering me, who
2: am I going to be? Yeah, that, that Star Trek, that's one where Kirk asked the existential question of our times. What does God need with the Starship? Exactly. That. See, I told
1: you there are a couple lines in it, and I did the one. But yeah, that that's the other one. That's that's the line I ask every time when I see like a, a TV minister asking for money.
2: Mm. What is it? Yeah. That always comes back to my mind. You know, it's interesting because we talked a lot about Star Trek uh in mm. in when we were talking about uh, rest and relaxation because that comes up a lot, right? I think even in the old series there's an episode where oh, yeah. Kirk gets split into his his good and bad halves and you know the good Kirk is like indecisive and he can't take command and of course the bad Kirk is just He's a the bad, <laughs> yeah. The bad Kirk. You,
1: you want the whole season on the rest of the bad Kirk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The swath he would tear through the Federation. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I also thought it was really cool detail in this episode where it's like um, good and bad was in the, the, the eye of the beholder. Like the machine took like what you think is toxic into account rather than like, I don't know, a board certified panel of psychologists, uh, intergalactic right. psychologists. Right. So it uh, adds a little bit of like. A little garbage in, garbage out. You know, if you, your ideas of what's healthy and what's not healthy are kind of messed up, and I think it's safe to say that Rick and Morty's are, then uh, you get... A uh, little bit. Yeah. So, it's like, is, is this uh, true in like a universalist type of sense of, or is it just true because of Rick and Morty are fundamentally unhealthy people, and when they split themselves up in the good and bad halves, that's, that's also messed up as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that was no surprise that things didn't work out quite the way that they were supposed to.
0: Uh, so let's talk about your book real quick. The The first thing people are going to notice probably is the title. And <laughs> I, I had one big question after I read the title. Um, it was about the subtitle of your book, which is The Unofficial Guide to Earth's Stupidest Show. What does that mean to you?
1: There is a story. There is a story. We are bristling. Um, Our hackles yeah. are raised. <laughs> what? Rick, Rick and Morty fans, you know, they're, they're understanding, uh, compassionate folks. Mostly. I take it on good authority
0: that you need a very high cue to understand the show. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And, and also, yeah, let and, me point out that your book, is, one of the first things you say is, this is one of the smartest shows on television. So Exactly. Well, see, and, and
1: that's That was where the good came... Matt that wrote that. The evil <laughs> right Matt wrote the yeah. cover. Yeah, the, the toxic Matt wrote the cover (laughs) actually actually no Matt wrote the cover um blurb uh this was originally the book got um started when a publisher in the UK got in touch with me an editor from uh, that publisher got in touch with me um my wife and I am a high school teacher and I use a lot of pop culture in my classroom to get science across and get my students engaged in the the whatever lesson we're talking about that day or whatever topic we're talking about that day um and my wife and I both do this. She's also a science teacher. And along with that, we've started a website called thescienceof.org. And I write articles about pop culture and science, kind of the intersection of the two at, at the site. And I had written a couple articles about um, the science of Rick and Morty, one on uh, Dwarf Terrace 9 or Tiny Earth, and one on uh, Pickle Rick's cockroach brains. And wrote the articles, posted them, just kind of went about my business about three months after I posted the second one, I got an email saying, so sorry to contact you through the website, the contact form on the website, but I'm a editor at this publisher. I really like those articles. Would you be interested in writing a book about the science of Rick and Morty? And we did our little kind of, who are you? Are you real dance? Um, I'm not going to have to pay for this. And this isn't some kind of (laughs) new Nigerian scam. Uh Um, But everything was on, everything was legit and on the up and up. And so they came up with a title. So the, the British publisher came up with a title. And so to get that idea of the subtitle, you kind of think of it or say it with your British accent. And when you think of it that way, it's like, oh, the unofficial guide to a stupidest show. Oh, that that where where you might hear a, a British person say, you know, oh Monty Python. You mean that show that was so stupid back in the back in the sixties that we all watched and loved? It's it has a slightly different meaning to a, a UK audience. Now that's not saying it's right. And I did say, hey, that subtitle. I I I think we need to change that. We might want to fix that and the answer i got was nope subtitle set we're good to go and i thought oh boy this is going to be interesting when i have to talk about (laughs) this and explain why i'm calling it earth's stupidest show my defense as lame as it is i'm not calling it earth's stupidest show um i agree and as you say in my introduction it is i call it one of the smartest shows on television and and it is the science that's mentioned there that's either used as a plot device or just blithely referenced by Rick in a one liner is it's, it's, it's good science. It's science that's there with a a lot of respect um, for it used in the show
2: well and to be fair rick and morty's not not a stupid show oh yeah <laughs> it's true. just that's a, that's a true small, that's a you know it's a, like uh, what is it was a three episodes ago like rick got blackout drunk and literally shit an entire room i mean in this episode
0: the first thing he does when he's rejoined is fart in morty's face <laughs> and blows his lab, exactly. his lab coat exactly. up so yeah. it, it, but that's just that's a that's a facet that's a that's definitely a facet <laughs> right.
1: true true yep maybe not the whole thing is stupid but it it's got its moments
0: <laughs> so how would you describe i guess the format of the book The
1: book is, um, well, as my original editor and I kind of wanted to make it, it's, it's a science book with the Rick and Morty skin over it. That's not to say it's just a generic science book. The science is keyed to what happens in Rick and Morty. Um, again, I'm a teacher. And so, you know, education is my 24 seven, pretty much, um, it is what I'm see myself doing until probably die, not retire. But uh, wow, that sounded way more morbid than I wanted it to.
0: <laughs> You're on the right. I...
1: <laughs> but um I wanted people to understand, you know, the science behind it. And you know, part of teaching science is is making people understand that this isn't some kind of secret stuff that is only understandable by a few people or can only be talked about by a few people. It's accessible. You just got to know how to get in. And that's kind of the idea behind using the pop culture is the, the pop culture is kind of like a Trojan horse of once Rick and Morty get into your brain and, and you're okay with Rick and Morty and you enjoy Rick and Morty. And then something like this comes along and you think, well, I like Rick and Morty. I wonder what this is about. And Rick and Morty is kind of that that guide to letting you get to the science Uh, you know, just flipping it open. I'm looking at the multiverse chapters or, you know, Rubens anatomy park inside him where I use that stuff as a springboard to talk about science. And so, yeah, that's the idea of you're going to come out of this book hopefully enjoying Rick and Morty more um, and hopefully understanding a lot of the science that, that kind of is in that same universe.
0: Yeah, and a lot of it, um, I, I like how you start out each chapter with sort of like, here's a thing from Rick and Morty, and we're going to kind of delve into whether or not it's possible right now, whether how close we are, if not, uh, things like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Where, where they get things right, where they kind of fudge the numbers a bit. Uh, speaking of numbers, yep. I I learned, you did your job as an educator, but because I learned what a fine structure constant is, uh, <laughs> and apparently that relates directly back to Rick and Morty. As uh, w- with this dimension C137. Uh, right, C one thirty seven, right? Could you concisely sum up to people? Maybe give them a taste of the book here with with that concept.
1: Sure, i i, I can give it a I can give it a spin. Um, well, C one thirty seven is the dimension that our Rick and Morty, well, at least our Rick is from, <laughs> um, and the way i believe they're using it in the in the series is they kind of use that as a as an index number um 137 in our universe in the real world is the fine structure constant which is a number that uh, it depends on how you come at it it either it's either very comforting that it shows up a bunch in in science and physics or it's alarming that it shows up a bunch you have you have a group that kind of finds comfort in this repeating 137 over and over as almost like it's a signature of a creator um but then you also have a group that's kind of alarmed by it because why why there should be no pattern there should be god we're, kinda...
2: we're all living in a simulation <laughs> yep exactly
1: exactly and so um this 137, it, it has to do with a few different things in our universe, but one of the most important is the strength of the electromagnetic force. And again, that is just simply how strongly positive and negative charges attract each other. That's, that's your clothes sticking together when you pull them out of the, the dryer. That's protons and electrons attracting each other. If you tune that 137, if you make it stronger, then the electromagnetic force is stronger, and atoms pull together tightly, more tightly, and they're smaller than they are in our universe and things wouldn't exist as we know them in our universe because the atoms would be smaller, which would change their properties and characteristics and and how they react with one another. If you make that 137 weaker um, or, or, or lower that 137, that electromagnetic force is weaker and therefore The electromagnetic force holding those protons and electrons wouldn't be as strong and the atoms would get perhaps even larger or just not attract each other at all and then if electrons and protons aren't attracted to each other to form atoms then you have no matter in in the universe you don't have anything at all um so that 137 that we've seen we've measured you know as we see it allows Everything we know allows this universe to exist as it is. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty strange thing. And as I mentioned in the book, it it is it has freaked out some uh, (laughs) some famous physicists from time to time.
2: What does that number have to be for everything to be on a cob? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's something it's, it's, it's yeah. you just you give it a negative yeah that, just, that's, what, a negative. that's what happens it's <laughs>
2: too low and the matter doesn't form properly right. it's just, it just right. the right. other the, if, if the other thing to holding the, the universe together ex- uh, aside from electromagnetic force is the cob force and right. thank yeah. god for the electromagnetic force <laughs> exactly uh
0: one of the things that always fascinates me about rick and morty is when they delve into the concept of infinity um, oh. and you have an entire chapter essentially in your book about the concept of infinity and multi-dimensions and, uh, everything to do with that. And it really, like, that's the one that captivated me the most because I was, I'm just fundamentally super interested in the idea of <laughs> infinity. Um, right. and, yeah. and, and I, I got to thinking, okay, where, cause I know that they, they play with this term and they don't actually use it in the way that infinity really is used in, in the terms of our, you know, potential multiverse, um, but they kind of limit it for the sake of the show. And I, right. I kept thinking, okay, so you've got a portal gun here that potentially gives you access to an infinite number of dimensions or universes. How would, would that be possible? Would it be possible for a finite tool such as a portal gun to potentially index and allow access to that infinite number of universes?
1: I, I think you're right. I think that's where they play a little bit fast and loose with the whole concept of infinity. I think there's there's the idea that the, the multiverse, which, you know, according to the best physics we've got, is probably real. Um, it comes out of other theories that if you accept this and this – then you have to accept the multiverse just as a, not as a byproduct, but just as a, as a function of, of how
2: things work. Now, wait, wait, and, can, when you say real, are you talking like in a mathematical sense? Uh, and kind of, well, kind of like in a, well, let's, the, the chapter that I
1: wrote um, on black holes and wormholes, um, black holes for the longest time were not expressly, expressly forbidden by, Einstein's theory of relativity, um, special relativity, they, so therefore kind of what we've learned over time is that if, if Einstein's calculations say it can't happen, then it can't happen now. And this is almost kind of like walking into weird grammar, but if Einstein's equations don't say expressly that it can't happen, then it probably happens somewhere. Then, you know, almost it it does happen. And so black holes in a sense were kind of quote unquote discovered that way that they, researchers realized that that's what could happen uh, following with the the, the theories of what a star's evolution would look like. So we figured out that black holes were out there long before we had any actual real evidence that black holes were real. Um, Just, you know, we finally kind of got to the not end result It's because it's just going to start a whole new line of research. But the, we, we took a, an image of a black hole earlier this year, mm-hmm. wormholes fundamental to Rick and Morty, because I'm kind of of the camp that says the portal gun is probably opening wormholes. Wormholes are not forbidden by Einstein's calculations and theories, but we haven't seen them. We, we have ideas and theories about where they could be, what they're like and how we could maybe perhaps control them we're hundreds if not thousands of years away from being able to do that but we haven't found them yet we we are just getting to the idea of you know we we kind of have an idea of the structure we kind of have an idea of what what they might be like and what their signature would be like um kind of with radiation and and things like that and so taking that idea to the multiverse it's 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 kind of similar that the ideas of how our universe formed with the Big Bang and then the theory of inflation, which we have the evidence that supports both of those, that it takes a little bit more down that road that if you go in and say, yeah, the Big Bang happened and the theory of inflation is probably what got us to where we are now, then it's, well, just one step farther down that road is the theory that, well, that would lead to multiverses and so it's kind of kind of like how you can trap people in a in a little logic game of well you believe this and this right well yeah of course i do then you believe this right and the the last thing in that case is multiverses and there are many 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 ideas of what kind of multiverse there could be um the physicist brian green has written a couple books elegant universe um for one and uh he has i think eight different versions of the multiverse that could, could exist. And, you know, you could have multiverses within multiverses. And so it's, it's really exciting to think about something like that. Um, so yeah, getting back to the question of infinity that we could have infinite multiverses or there's, it's kind of a possibility. It's something like 10 to the 500th power number of, of universes out there, which for our little monkey brains is, is pretty much infinity. Um, but could Rick's portal gun catalog an infinite number? Uh, no, um, you could. You can't have that much storage, and that's kind of one of the things of like you. I was like, I, I like to just kind of toss around that concept of infinity, of wow. So, so if there's an infinite multiverse out there with an infinite number of different universes, how many? In how many of those universes are a version of me? and a version of you guys having this exact same conversation right now. Right. Well, if there's an infinite number of universes, then it's an infinite number of us having infinite versions of this exact same conversation.
0: Yeah. You you point out in your book, how 5% of infinity is infinity. Yep. And I I think that's a a really tough concept to get your head around, but once you do, you start to understand where, where infinity lies, you know, it's, it's, it's
1: one of those things. I, I do that kind of stuff in my classroom. Um, and I warn my students, uh, like say when we're we're going on and and just talking about the periodic table or something about all these different elements and how you know the how the protons and neutrons and electrons and how they're formed and how they're organized and everything. And then I'll warn them and say, okay, we're going to have a stoner thought now, <laughs> and, and they all kind of what? I'm like exactly. We're I'm gonna we're gonna go into an area here to talk about this stuff, and you're just gonna be left going. Whoa. And, <laughs> yeah. and if you, you know, if you've lived on the internet for a while, you've seen the memes, you've seen the little videos of like Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about, you know, the, how the elements come, we all are star stuff and the elements come from the hearts of stars and the heavier elements come from supernova that exploded and, and blasted this stuff out. And, but, but that's a beautiful thing. And that's the, the privilege of, of, you know, teaching teenagers about that. They haven't heard it. They haven't seen it. They're not seeking this stuff out. And so when I do introduce that concept to them, that that's where the elements came from. That's where that the gold that you have in the jewelry came from the heart of a star as it exploded and somehow got to where our sun is and can got get gobbed up altogether to form the earth. And then on top of that was pulled out, who knows how long ago, but has probably been in hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands pieces of jewelry before you got it on your neck or on your hand and then i just let that sit for a little while because i do have students that are just kind of like whoa
0: yeah
2: again, again it gives a and, good illustration to cuts time scales like in like what 13 14 billion years that's happened enough that orders there's a significant amount of gold on this planet exactly uh, especially exactly. when you think about how much of space is just empty that's yeah. crazy yep. it's nuts <laughs> yeah see exactly yeah i mean you exactly. do a great job
0: of laying all this stuff out in your book i th- that multiverse chapter goes into detail on exactly how all of those mer- multiverse different multiverse theories would work um it's it's really good stuff i I really appreciated that chapter especially thanks
2: thanks if, a lot if people want to find you on the internet or especially find your new book the science of rick and morty uh where where should they do so matt
1: well, this book is available at bookstores everywhere and Amazon. Um, it's, it's out, the publisher is Simon & Schuster, uh, so it's, it's got pretty good distribution. Um, and so you should be able to find it at any bookstore or, like we said, Amazon. And then if you're looking for me, you can find me um, via my website, thescienceof.org, or on the Twitters at at And somewhere in all that, you'll be able to get in touch with me pretty quickly.
2: Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we'll keep you in mind if we ever have any other uh, Morty mind blower moments that we need to explain in the future, <laughs> Matt.
1: Yeah, please do. This has been fun.
2: All right, have a good one. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm?
1: Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly—it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach, with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for
2: Jim, are you ready to plot to the future? See Cucumber. <laughs> see cucumber apparently not are you okay no, do we I'm need kidding. to reset let's do it. can i just do we do you just want to be held for a while no let's do it okay uh we're going to tune our portal guns the dimension bm77 to access what behind the scenes details trivia and spoilers for future episodes say it with me everybody see cucumber <laughs> continuity oh. i have a continuity note and rick Mansing the stone mm-hmm we talked about Justin Roiland saying on Twitter that the Smith family lives in Seattle or around Seattle, Washington and suburbs around Seattle. But here, Morty says he's from the Midwest. Mm. <laughs> Clearly, the gotcha. creators don't know their own fucking property. So Dan's from the Midwest. Uh, I feel like this mm. is a more of a nod to Dan's upbringing. Uh, Justin grew up in Central California. So maybe he was looking for and like his mind, Morty always grew up kind of someplace on the West Coast. Uh I mean, I always was surprised by the Seattle thing because I felt like everything felt a little bit more Midwest than that.
0: But I mean, it, I'm 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 a Cali kid. Yeah. I grew up in California. I wasn't born there. Uh huh. So why couldn't Morty have been born in the Midwest and and now the the Smiths live in it's Seattle? Like, but, but it's like I guess it's a problem of saying you're from
2: somewhere. Like it's like if he a 14 year old says he's from the Midwest, I don't think. You know he yeah, was I mean, born he, could, he was born in michigan and then when he was 16 months old they brought him out this you know what bellevue or what whatever yeah i mean i
0: would say like i'm from southern california but i i don't live there i haven't lived there in 25 You're from years from iowa you just work in outer space <laughs> right like I, why is this a problem i don't understand why this is a problem because uh, i because i understood it so yeah to did, be they he, live currently in seattle I don't know anything about the history of the family. I mean they tonight. have to if
2: Rick Mancing the Stone just displaces like a dimension and not space-time itself. Uh-huh. Uh, they have to because like it's uh it's an easy a post-apocalyptic drive into Seattle to go hunting for mutants. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's another episode, I'm not sure which, but I saw it asserted that it's that that uh Beth establishes that she's a she's from Michigan so maybe yeah you're right like that's that's the easy way to to square it is that that he was I born they in the just midwest, moved there at in some Seattle. point i just felt like it could be two years ago they moved there right it could be yeah. one year ago like yeah i mean i don't know why i feel this because it's not like i've lived significant times other, and you know i've I, I spent two years in texas as a teenager i've spent the majority of my life uh in the midwest but like rick and morty always felt more midwestern than coastal but mm. i don't know why i say that hmm yeah i don't know uh all right. That's uh, so here's your continuity note. Oh, also uh the stone that he uses to power the device that kills the organic Death Star in like the I don't know what you'd call that, not a cold open. The the pre-adventure adventure is yeah. the same one he stole from the survivors of the wasteland in Rick Bancing the Stone, mm-hmm. as we previously mentioned. So I thought that was a pretty interesting bit of uh cross episode continuity. Uh what'd you think of the commentary with dan justin tom kaufman and carrie walgren who if you don't know is the voice of jessica on this episode uh
0: i thought it had some some interesting uh discussion about what this episode started as and what it became um started as sort of a shadow morty this evil version of morty with you know all the the talk of star trek transporter episodes and all that um it sort of was like a version of morty floating around him haunting him Mm -hmm. and it kind of essentially morphed into this they got excited about the bad parts being sucked out of you and then it turned into this uh and at some point jessica was going to be split as well uh, yeah further along she was going to turn
2: into like uh, uh a, a equal part like super confident jessica and also like this codependent clingy jessica yeah um what I, I thought there was an interesting comment about um, that they wanted to work in the episode that might have cleared up some of the confusion you had where mm-hmm. there was some kind of warning label or some kind of warning that they would ignore about your, you shouldn't go into this detox machine if you're an adolescent because as an adolescent, you kind of like have all these swirling things about yourself, your identities being mm-hmm. forged and the machine like, you know, cleansed Rick is seems like he would have he'd be a very he'd be a fine person. He wouldn't commit crimes probably wouldn't axe murder people in his Manhattan apartment. Uh Clint Morty does feel like that's kind of where his end game is going. Yeah. And they just suggested that's because the machine, the, the, the adolescent mind doesn't have its good and evil stuff really like, sorted out. Mm-hmm. So you get this, uh, you know, essentially performative American psycho version of a good person.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I, I think like... I don't know. This episode feels a little chopped and screwed in some places. Well, I think that's one of the places. Yeah. And then toward the end, they were they were doing more with the American Psycho stuff. Like uh-huh. Morty was gonna have this scene in his apartment where he's you know cutting cutting up his crudite uh-huh. as he calls it. Uh it, And and he starts like mashing it and yeah, like he violently. becomes increasingly more psychotic and and you can see that he's kind of at war with his own subconscious in some kind of way, but that didn't all of that got wiped out and then yet rick comes flying in and he says something he calls morty a tiny american psycho so mm-hmm. you know that those parts are still in there but like i never quite bought the explanation that dan gives about why morty leaves his phone on mm. to be traced by rick and caught well well he said it was it was like morty was living in a world that was psychotic because it was a world in which he was okay with Jessica not wanting him. Hmm. And I don't view that as particularly unhealthy.
2: Yeah no you're right. It is a healthy like. Uh, maybe I misunderstood what he said in the commentary but yeah because I, I guess I didn't get that so maybe it was like a, a slight word because uh, dif- uh, yeah, yeah I mean I think that's the definition of insanity. If a person says I'm not interested in you romantically at all and you continue to carry a torch and are able to move on uh, that does seem like the definition of, of of unhealthy.
0: Yeah, and being okay with that world would would probably be healthy. But, like, I guess that's one of those places where it's chopped and screwed a little too much for me because I didn't understand why well, I, Morty left I do his think, because, like,
2: when I... F- I remember very clearly when I first saw this, like, it was somewhat of a shock that Morty was depicted as living an unhealthy life. Now, I've... You know, now that I've hmm. watched it several times, I can kind of see in the margins. Yeah. But, like, um... I didn't think that like the Wolf of Wall Street, like that he that the that the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio character is a bad person because he was a stockbroker. Mm-hmm. He's a bad person because he lies to everyone close to him. Mm-hmm. He uses people. He takes insane risk with himself and people like around him and on you know threatens people on the road. Like he there's on and on and on. Yeah, because like we don't see like if Morty is just telling his clients the truth and making them a lot of money, like yeah. you might have some problems with him just in like, you know, if you have problems with the set, the, the idea of capitalism itself, but like, uh-huh. that's a pretty ethical way. And like, also the woman he is with, like he, uh, shot her straight about his actual circumstances and how he's rolling. And they seem like they had like a, you know, she called him his soulmate. Or, you know, mm-hmm. I, th- so there, there's a lot of stuff in the margins where this is clearly insane. Right. Like three, like you know, they, they 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 jump three weeks later, and he's in this torrid uh, affair with this woman who calls him his soulmate. Like maybe mm-hmm. the idea is that even though the Morty's not crazy, literally everyone in that sphere that he operates in is insane. Hmm. And if he can function
0: as a healthy human in that environment, then he's de facto insane. Maybe, but, but, I didn't understand the connection between that and leaving the phone on so that Rick could find him, well, plus, it's like the way he described as being subconscious
2: mm-hmm. because like the like Morty's like plastered smile as it was happened to him when she's like, "Oh, Morty, you left your phone on he goes, "Oh, did I, like uh, to me." he had already this was his version of like Rick in the uh, the, the episode uh, something Rick Ed this way comes where like Rick yeah. just got bored of his curse removal and just got out the cans mm-hmm. of gasoline and like kicked everyone out and set it on fire like this was Morty doing the same thing like all right i've chopped these carrots i'm with this woman i've made these millions of dollars but it's not what i really want in life and i want to. but, but it it's all hard
0: up. it's hard for me to to buy into that explanation given they've split off the parts of them that they think are toxic i no yeah I don't there know, is, like when you when you've so clearly demarcated these two beings uh to say that the one would have a subconscious that somehow leaks through is is a difficult explanation for me to buy
2: and like you said, this thing's been chopped and 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 sliced and diced and separated into its good and ha- bad halves so many times that uh, <laughs> there is this joke where you know Rick was bemoaning how crazy the Moon Tower thing was by saying, "Man, I really overthink things when I get angry." <laughs> and Dan did not write that line, but he took it as a good natured criticism of his own behavior this season because, like, yeah, it's yeah. you know they, they, this is all throughout the commentary that like the season three writing process is very contentious. There was kind of like a battle between like you know where the direction of the show should go and like you know how much this should happen how much that should happen and they were like just really agonized and navel-gazed and mm-hmm. i think some of these like questions that don't have satisfying answers this episode is indicative of this just really overwrought overthought
0: but still yeah. amazingly really good and thought-provoking episode oh yeah i don't think it makes it a bad episode it just leaves me with some questions Pickle Me This is distributed by Bald Move in association with Starburns Audio. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch from Starburns and myself, Mineron from Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack, available from Sub Pop Records. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally, you can follow us on your favorite social media at Bald Move. See you next time.